are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Man, I'm so glad that you're here this morning, and I'm really grateful that we have this moment to open God's Word together and to see what it is that God might want to say to us. Think about this, okay? You're here, and we know that God promised us that He would be here when we gathered in His name And so God wants to say something to you this morning. It just overwhelms me that the God who created everything has a desire this morning to speak into your life. So I'm going to throw up an equation on the board, and some of you may have some sense of what it is. Anybody who majored in physics in the room or works with the area of physics, some people do. So do you know what this is? P equals M times V. Let me give it to you, okay? It's momentum equals mass times velocity, okay? And so, very simply put, it is momentum equals mass times speed. So I think you can understand that. You're going to leave here in a little bit. You're going to get in a car that weighs 4,000 pounds or so because the mid-sized car weighs 4,000 pounds. That would be considered mass, right? You're going to push on the accelerator, which is going to begin to move the car forward. And as you go forward, it's going to pick up speed. And now you're going to have mass times speed. So if you were to take your foot off the accelerator, does the car just immediately come to a sudden stop? You would say, no, it doesn't. Why? Because mass times speed creates momentum. And so momentum is that force that pushes you forward. So we use that metaphorically, not only scientifically. It's, uh, it's football season in America, right? So your favorite team would be... I heard some Cowboys, I heard some Chiefs, I heard some Boomer Sooner out there. I didn't hear a lot about Texas, I'm going to be honest with you. It's, it's, it, but anyway, what do you love it when, when, when what's going on with your team? You're, you're seeming to build momentum. It's like, man, we're just moving through the season. We're mowing down the defense of the other team. We're doing well. But you can also lose momentum. Let me think with you for a minute. Do you ever think about momentum in your relationship with Jesus? Here's how people talk to me. They sometimes say to me, Pastor Rick, I, I, I went on a missions trip, or I went on a retreat, or maybe I went, you know, to church camp. And when I came back, I was so excited about my journey with God. I mean, I felt so close to Him. It's like every time I got a chance to, to get into the Word, I wanted to. Or I found myself, if I was alone, just kind of talking to God in prayer. I was always wanting to listen to Christian music. It, it just seemed like that I was doing so good in my journey with God as I came back from this experience. And here's what people honestly come and meet with me and ask me about. They'll say, how can I keep this going? Because what they don't want is to lose momentum. I feel like I was barely surviving, and now I'm thriving. And, and I don't want to go back to surviving again. I, I don't want to know how to kill my momentum. I want to know how to build my momentum from this point. I want to keep moving forward in my journey with God because it's so awesome. Do you have any advice for me? And so I have some advice. And you may be saying, well, good, I want to hear this because... Some of you would be saying, I'm, I'm doing really good in my journey with God right now, and I want to know how to not lose that. I, in fact, I just want to build on that. And so here's what I would say to you, okay? I would say the most important choices we make in our lives are about who and what 
we love. And you're saying, did we switch conversations? Is this pertinent to what we were talking about earlier? It's central to what we were talking about earlier. The most important choices that you and I will ever make in our lives are the choices we make about who and what we love. And this is all about momentum. Okay? Let me take you to the book of 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going to start with verse 15. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. John is an old man now. And probably his primary role in ministry is overseeing several house churches. Because in the New Testament days, they weren't meeting in buildings yet. They had synagogues for the Jewish people. But the Christians were meeting in houses. And so he's overseeing several house churches that are meeting around Ephesus. Okay? They've got a crisis. They've got a problem. He's trying to get them to stay true to their faith. And here's what he says to them in chapter 2 beginning with verse 15. Do not love the world. Now what do you think he means when he says the world? How would you define world? Okay? Do not love the world or anything in the world. What does he mean by not loving the world or anything in the world? Why would you say to us, don't love the world or anything in the world? He says, well, because if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. He really is saying you can't love the world and love the Father. You can love the world or you can love the Father, but you can't love the world and the Father. It's not possible. Darkness and light are in such opposition to each other. You cannot love both at the same time. That's not a possibility. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So everything that you love, everything that you love in life has a source. It either comes from the Father or it comes from the world, but it doesn't come from both. He goes on to say the world and its desires will pass away. Anything that you love that's from the world, it's temporary. It's not going to last. It's going to be gone. It's only here for a while. But whoever does the will of God, that person is going to live forever. So I was reading a book not too long ago by a guy whose name is Lenny Lachetti. And I met Lenny a few months ago, and he's a super nice guy. He's a professor. He's an author. He is a pastor to pastors. I mean, he is exceptional. Wouldn't you agree? You were there with me. He's just a great, great guy. Chris and I sat under his teaching for a while one day, and we thought he was awesome. So Lenny says, here's my story. I was raised by two people that I love dearly, but they were addicts. You just can't skirt the issue. They both had drug addictions. And so here I am being raised in the home of addicts. Well, by the time I'm 16 years old, I'm an addict. I drop out of school. I remember one time I got in a fight. A guy stabs me with a knife. I almost died. Lenny said, but who was I kidding? Inwardly, I was almost dead anyway. A few people loved me, cared about me, took interest in me. And they get me to a place called Teen Challenge. It's a drug and alcohol rehabilitation community. 
And it was a teen challenge that I came into this life-giving relationship with Jesus. And Lenny says, my whole world changed at that point. Lenny says, I thrived. I'm quoting him word for word. I thrived on loving and being loved by Jesus. My life was awesome. He says, then tell me how decades later, with a story like mine, as a pastor, a pastor to pastors, a professor, and an author, did I find myself in a spiritual slump. I got a feeling that those two words, that phrase, spiritual slump, got somebody's attention. Because Lenny Lachetti is not the only Christian who's ever found himself in a spiritual slump. So I got a feeling there's people looking at me saying, Rick, I've been in a spiritual slump before. Or there's people looking at me saying, Rick, I'm in a spiritual slump right now. And so Lenny said, what I do is I ask people all the time that I work with, if you were to rate on a scale between 1 to 10 your level of intimacy with God, where would you put yourself right now? So when I was reading his book and he asked that question, I got a piece of paper to make some notes on and I drew a scale And I decided I was going to spend some time in this conversation in my own head. I remember thinking about seasons of my life where I was desperate, where life was difficult, where I was in a really tough place. And I think in those times I might have put myself at a 10. I was praying all the time. I was into God's Word searching for answers like crazy. I needed God desperately. You know what I mean? And so I mean I felt really intimate, really close to God. I think I might have been a 10 on the scale. And I thought about other seasons of my life where I might have been a seven and I might have been lower. And then I asked myself a really, a really strong question. I said, come on now. Don't cheat the scale. Don't make it better or worse than it is. Right now, Rick Harvey, in your life on a scale between one and ten, where are you in your level of intimacy with the Father? So where would you put yourself? Lachetti said, 50% of the people that I ask give themselves a six or lower. And Lachetti said, I think that's a slump. How do you get into a slump? Well, the good news is that when we ask questions, God's Word often answers those questions for us. And and let me paraphrase John a little bit here. But John is simply saying, loving the wrong things will kill momentum in your journey with God. When you love the wrong things, it just kills momentum in your journey with God. When you're loving the wrong things, you don't want to be in God's Word. When you're loving the wrong things, you don't want to spend time in prayer. When you're loving the wrong things, you don't even want to think about God. Because loving the wrong things, John says, is going to kill momentum in your journey with God. And so let me just take about two minutes here, okay, to get pretty descriptive with his language. He says, so don't love the world or anything in the world. Well, what does he mean by loving the world? 
Uh, John 3.16 is maybe the most popular verse in the whole Bible, right? What does it say? For God so loved the world. So God's talking about the human race, right? So he's obviously not saying don't love the human race because God loves the human race. And he wants you to love the human race. Annette and I took a little drive a few months ago. We go over to New Mexico. It was amazing what we saw. The scenery, the mountains, the beauty, the flowing streams through the mountains. Every day we got up, we just said, wow, this is beautiful. And throughout the Bible, we see this praise for God's creation. So obviously, he's not talking about the created world, right? No, it's okay to love the mountains and the oceans and the vast sky that's over our heads and everything else that God has made. What does he mean when he say, do not love the world? Let me give you a clear definition. He means anything that is in opposition to God. Anything that opposes God. Anything that's not what God wants. Anything that's not what God desires. Anything that's not what God chooses. Anything that's in opposition to God. And then he gets really descriptive. He says, I'm talking about the cravings of sinful men. All right. So this is going to sound like an old time sermon here for a minute. I'm not going to yell a lot, but I might yell a little. You ready? So he's talking about sinful desires of the flesh. Sarts is the Greek word. It's like sinful desire in regard to greed or sinful desire in regard to sex or sinful regard and desire to any kind of pleasure. And then he kind of builds on it and he says, I'm talking about the lust of the eyes, anything that glitters and sparkles. And you're not really looking at the real value of the thing, but it's just something that kind of attracts your attention or the boasting of what a person has and does. A person who's proud and arrogant and focuses on status and rank. Sound like an old-time preacher? You say, okay, I got it. I'm with you. This is a sermon about what we're against, right? This is a sermon that says we're not into sex, drugs, or rock and roll, right? (laughs) This is a sermon that says we're not into anything that might be remotely enjoyable. I think if we reduce it to that, that we miss real potential of applying John's words to our lives today. So I was forwarded a podcast a while back, and I listened to every bit of it, and I took notes. It was Andy Stanley and Tim Elmore, and they were talking about identifiers of our culture. So if you had to describe your culture today, what words would you use? They found five. The first is speed. Everything must happen at lightning speed these days. Let me just tell you, I went to a fast food restaurant, and I will not tell you the name of it because I don't think I should do that, but they should no longer be allowed to refer to themselves as a fast food restaurant. Did you know that I had to wait in there for a classic roast beef For almost three minutes. I'm like, what in the world's going on here? What are you guys doing? Because everything now has to happen fast, right? It's all about speed. I mean, even if I'm on my phone and something doesn't pop up immediately, like I'm done with that. I'm not waiting there any longer. I've given that real three seconds. It doesn't have my attention. I'm gone, you know. 
So if speed is good, then are we communicating another message? And the other message is that slow is really bad. But the struggle is that we read in God's Word that those who wait on the Lord are blessed. And a good marriage is something that doesn't happen in an instant, but it happens over years and years of work. And good relationships don't happen in a moment, but they happen over years and years of investing. And some things take time, and they're worth waiting for in life. And so they said another identifier is convenience. So if I'm out of paper towels, I'm going to say to the Alexa sitting on my kitchen counter, hey, we're out of paper towels. And if they're not there by the next morning, something's wrong. Amazon should have delivered, right? And the whole world is saying to us, let us make life more convenient for you. Life should be really convenient. But if we're saying that convenient is good, then we're sending another message that says, well, hard is bad. But you and I know that there's so many things that are worth working for. And if we don't go through the difficult times, we sometimes don't grow and change. Another identifier is entertainment. It's good. You've got you to stay entertained. Do you, do you remember back in the day when you were waiting in a line that you just stood there and waited? We actually thought about things. We reflected on our day. We reflected on relationships. We might have even taken a moment to pray. Not anymore. We go for the pocket and we get the phone. And we're going to get entertained. At what point do we just kind of unplug and back away? And just say, I don't really have to be entertained in this moment. Did you know that the average American spends ten and a half hours in front of a screen of some sort a day? Either a computer, a television, a video game, a phone, or whatever. Ten and a half hours a day, the average American is looking at a screen. And so if entertainment is good, then boring is bad. Any kind of downtime is just bad. I'm not going to just sit here and think. i got to do something. But when are we creative? And when do we reflect? And when do we process our lives? Nurturing is good. Comfort me, that's good. Are we raising a risk-adverse generation when we say, you just need to be coddled and comforted? And what about entitlement? I want free, and I want it now, you know? Free is better, but it says paying is hard, but we know that there's value in saving and paying for something ourselves. Here, here's the question. It's not just a sermon that says, hey, we're against sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's not what this is about. It's way broader than that. It's saying, what is my culture saying to me every day of my life? And am I just following whatever they're giving me? Or am I really thinking for myself about how I'm going to live my life? And more than that, am I really turning to God's Word to ask Him, how does He want me to live my life? And so John says, don't love the world or anything in the world, but love the Father. And everything that comes from the Father. My daughter Brittany is in town this week. And they were with us in first service this morning. 
her and my granddaughter Sadie, my son-in-law Tim, and so Morgan and her boyfriend Brian, we all hung out together the last three days, and it's been awesome. Brittany shared something with me that I loved. We have an IT guy who has worked here since he was in high school. His name is Gerald Nance. And sometimes people ask Gerald what he does here at the church, and here's what he says. Well, I turn machines off and I unplug them, and then I plug them back up and I turn them back on. And usually people laugh, and he says there's a lot of truth to it. So I even remember times when I've called Gerald on my phone and said, hey, I can't get my printer at home to work. And he says, uh, did you try uh, turning it off and unplugging it and then plugging it back in and turn it back on? No, I didn't try that, Gerald. He says, call me back in five minutes after you've done that. And so five minutes I call him back and I go, yep, I'm good. Thanks so much. And he goes, yeah, if you need anything else, let me know. And so Brittany shares with me a little meme. And it simply says this. Almost anything works better when you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. Almost anything works better when you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. I'm talking about stepping back and turning everything off and just unplugging. And just asking yourself, what, what impact is the culture that I'm in really having on my everyday life? And is it guiding me or is God still guiding me? And so, what are we going to do? John makes it really clear, and I love these words. It's just simply this. If I want to keep spiritual momentum, John says, you love the Father. You love everything the Father's about. Not only that, you love what comes from the Father. Whatever the Father gives you, whatever the Father calls you to, whatever the Father asks of you, that's what you give your life to. If you really want to keep up spiritual momentum, that's how you do it. Now, I understand that somebody's looking at me saying, hey, Rick, You say that we should not love the world or anything in it, but that we should love the Father? Yep. That's how you keep momentum? Yep. What if I've got a problem? What's your problem? What if I love something I shouldn't love? And what if I love it a lot? I mean, my heart's my heart, Rick, and if it loves, it loves. And so what if my heart is loving things my heart shouldn't love? And what if my heart loves something it shouldn't love a whole lot? What if my heart loves something that it shouldn't love deeply? So James K. Smith writes a book about you are what you love. And he gives us great instruction. He says God has given us certain things that we can do that He will use to recalibrate our hearts. God will impart grace to us through certain things. And what He talks about are practices. Let me list them for you, okay? We talk about six practices here. We talk about worshiping together. What we're doing right now, really important stuff. It's a really good practice. So it's something that you physically have to do. You've got to get yourself out of bed. You've got to get yourself in some kind of car. You've got to get here. You've got to walk in the doors. And then you've got to open your mouth and sing. You've got to listen with your ears. It's a practice that you physically do with your body. But it's often here that God does something in me. 
Many times on Sunday mornings, I'm right over there with you. And I'm singing songs of worship and God speaks to me. And sometimes I just quit singing and I just start praying. It's often in experiences like these that God shapes me. It's when we open God's Word together that God speaks to me and He does something in my heart. One-on-one time with God. I've told you many times that when I get up in the morning and I open God's Word and I spend time with Him in prayer, that that is the place where God most often shapes me. It is a practice where God extends grace to me. And He does something in my life, group life. I go to a group here on Sunday morning. And I'm telling you, the teacher in that group, God has used in a powerful way to speak to me. And I remember particularly one time I left that morning class time that we had in our community group that meets just right back here. And I walked out of that room that day and I knew that God was talking to me. And I knew there was something in my life that I had to change. It was about my relationship with another person. God changed me that morning. And I made that right. Sharing our faith when we live with our arms open. And we invite people who don't know Jesus into our lives. Serving. People talk about going on a missions trip and I grew more in two years than I've grown in the last 20. Or in two weeks than I've grown in the last 20. God does something in our hearts. When we share of our resources and give. I'm telling you. When I write checks and I give it away to what I believe God is asking me to give it away to. I become less greedy. God changes me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the list. And I'm going to close with this. But what in your mind is God asking you to either begin or to improve in? Which of these practices? You might say, Rick, if I was going to begin one of these practices, I'm I'm doing okay with this. I show up pretty faithfully on Sunday morning. This right here, not so good. I've kind of neglected spending time with God Every day, one-on-one time. This is what I need to improve in. Somebody else may say, no, I'm I'm doing pretty good there, but uh, we're not really in a group. We're not really investing in other believers, and we're not allowing them to invest in us. And so probably this is what's missing in my life right now. Somebody else may say, no, it's it's sharing my faith. And another say, I don't serve anywhere. I'm, I'm just not serving anywhere. And probably that's where I need to either begin or I need to improve. So the question is, Of the six practices, as we journey these next few weeks together, can you pick one or two or three and you say, Rick, I'm either going to begin doing one of these or I'm going to make a strong effort to improve in one of these. Do you know what I ask myself every time I feel like myself in myself that I'm kind of slipping a bit in my journey with God? I ask myself, so how am I doing with the practices because God is not opposed to effort and God calls us to all of these practices not just because he wants to busy your life with stuff because he knows that he gives grace through these to recalibrate your heart and that you will again love the right things and so I want to pray for you Lord I believe in this moment That you're speaking to us. And I believe that many of us are looking at this list saying, no wonder I'm not doing as well as I was. No wonder I'm struggling a bit because I know in my heart 
that I've neglected a practice that's very important. And so would you give us the grace? Because we can't even do that without your grace. Would you give us the grace? I pray in Jesus' name. To improve in one or more of these practices. To invest in our journey with you. To spend time where it really matters. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes somebody will say to me, I went on this retreat or I went on a missions trip and I got so close to God. You know what I say to them? Tell me what you did. What was your schedule like? And they always say the same things. Well, we had service every day. <laughs> it's like went to church every day. Sometimes twice a day. They always made sure we had time for one-on-one -on -one time with God. We had quiet time. Slipped off on our own. They put us in groups. Maybe on the missions trip we were one big group. We did life together for two weeks. Investing in one another. Praying with one another. Caring for one another. We were sharing our faith. We were serving. We were giving. And I just say, yeah. So if you come home and you just turn all of that off like a faucet, you're going to miss something, aren't you? And you can't do that. So if you don't want to lose momentum, you've got to keep practicing your faith. See, when I was a sinner, I practiced sin. But now that I'm a follower of Jesus, I practice holiness and I practice faith. And practicing is really important. And so today it may be that God is saying to you, this is a practice that I really want you to focus on. And as He does, I challenge you to say, I will do it, God, whatever you ask. Let's stand together, shall we? You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.